And now let's take out our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 through 30 this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 937. I've entitled today's message, I Dreamed a Dream. And as always, we'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we will consider the text. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are so grateful that you have gathered us together as a church family this morning to worship you. Lord, it it lifts our spirits to see one another after a long and difficult week. Lord, would you bless every single person who has come here today and every person who is at home watching us online. Lord, I pray for your grace and your peace in their lives, and I pray that you would use uh, today's sermon to minister to their hearts. Might they grow in their affections for you, and might they walk away from this service more committed to following you in every department of life. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we begin the second chapter of the book of Daniel, and the first verse of this chapter gives us the historical context uh, for all the events that follow. It says the events of this chapter occurred in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. That is, uh, it was his second full year as king of Babylon. It was actually year three of Daniel's captivity in Babylon. So as chapter 2 of this book opens, Daniel and his friends are about 18 years old. They have made it through King Nebuchadnezzar's intensive training program, and they've been deployed as servants in the king's palace. And around this time, King Nebuchadnezzar began to experience a personal crisis, and we read of it in the second half of verse 1. It says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now, all of this is really incredible, because at this point in his career, Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world. All of his enemies have been conquered. His kingdom spans from the Mediterranean Sea to the Persian Gulf. He has wealth beyond imagination. And yet here he is... At night, filled with anxieties about the future. And then when he finally goes to sleep, he begins having nightmares. And it's so bad, our text says, that his spirit was troubled. Now, the Hebrew text here literally uh, uses a word that speaks of a hammer that is pounding an anvil. Or sometimes it's used of a heart that is pounding out of the chest. His spirit is troubled. I picture Nebuchadnezzar uh, going to bed at night full of fears. Those fears are realized in the dream world. He starts having nightmares, and suddenly the nightmares just jolt him awake, and he's broken out into a cold sweat, heart pounding out of his chest. His eyes are wide as saucers. And then the text says his sleep left him. So once he woke up from these nightmares, he couldn't get back to sleep. 
So verses 2 and 3, he calls in all of his trusted advisors. These are uh, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans. They're astrologers, warlocks, crystal ball gazers, palm readers. Everyone that King Nebuchadnezzar thinks could be of some help to him in making sense of these night terrors. He wants all of these people to tell him exactly what his dreams mean. And so verse 4, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, Okay, give us the content of your dream, and we will give you an interpretation. Well, verses 5 through 9, Nebuchadnezzar replies, no, no, no. If I tell you the content of my dream, how can I trust your interpretation? You're just going to make something up. He says, the only way I can be sure that your interpretation is correct is if you tell me the content of my dream and the meaning of the dream. He explains to them, verse 5, that he is not messing around. Look at verse 5. It says, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But then he says in verse 6, But you get it right, and I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. So this is the kind of man that Nebuchadnezzar was. He was absolutely ruthless. He was also terrified by these dreams. He thought that embedded somewhere in those dreams, there was a message for him. He needed to know the message. So he's going to use whatever tactic he has to employ to figure out what these dreams of his mean. If he has to threaten uh, his advisors with death, whatever he has to do, to twist their arms, he's going to get his answer from them. Well, verse 10, all of these advisors give Nebuchadnezzar their reply. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, there isn't a man alive who can do what you ask. Nobody can, can tell another man what he dreamed and give him an interpretation of the dream. Verse 11 is a key verse of the chapter They say to him, the thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Nebuchadnezzar, there's not a man on this earth who can do what you want him to do. The only people who can can tell a dream is a god. They say, we all know the gods have no dealings with us down below. What you ask is impossible. What a hopeless religion the Babylonians had. There were so many gods in the Babylonian system, but none of them was capable of answering a prayer of showing even a little bit of compassion for a person in distress on earth. Now, Babylonian worshipers would literally take their newborn babies, burn them alive on altars. Then they would have a great big orgy afterwards, and they did this all just to get their God's attention. And none of it worked. Their gods wouldn't listen to them. There's something else happening here, too. 
You see, all the wisdom of Babylon is being exposed here for the folly that it is. Nebuchadnezzar has brought to himself the best and brightest of his kingdom. I mean, here are the smartest guys, the best educated, the best looking, the the best fed. Here are the people who supposedly can, can interact with the spirit world. He's got sorcerers and magicians, all kinds of people around him. Surely one of these men can tell Nebuchadnezzar the contents and meaning of his dream. None of them can. Their faith has no answer to Nebuchadnezzar's plight. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 1.20, which says, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You know, the wisdom of the world is so appealing when times are good. But in times of crisis, they are shown for what they really are, just bankrupt systems that can offer no peace. The bankruptcy of Babylonian wisdom was being put on full display here in in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Through it, God was preparing King Nebuchadnezzar to accept his wisdom through a young man named Daniel. Now back to the story, verses 12 and 13. The answer that Nebuchadnezzar receives from the wise men is more than he can bear. So in a fit of rage, he declares that all his advisors will be put to death immediately. Now, some important lessons from Nebuchadnezzar's life here. Number one, no matter how much power, money, or success you may accumulate, it will never be enough to bring you spiritual peace. Think about Nebuchadnezzar again, most powerful man in the world, probably the wealthiest man in the world at the time. He is sitting on a throne that most of the world would envy, and yet we find him here having full-blown panic attacks at night. He has no peace. And that's because he knows that despite the wealth and the power and everything else that he has, he is extremely vulnerable. All it would take is one foreign army coming into his land to throw away everything that he had accumulated. All it would take is just one successful insurrection within his kingdom. All it would take is just one natural disaster or one terminal diagnosis for him, and it would all be over. So despite all that he has amassed around himself, he is still a man in great torment. My friend, if you live for things like this, power, money, success, your days will be filled with paranoia and frustration and fear. If you need a modern example of this, look no further than Vladimir Putin in today's Russia. Lesson number two, no matter how dedicated you are to your religion or philosophy of life, If your faith isn't rooted in the true and living God, it will offer you no solace. Gods invented by men do not soothe the soul. They agitate the soul. Human wisdom is no better. Put your faith in the, the philosophies concocted by ungodly men, and you will find yourself in torment just like Nebuchadnezzar when your day of crisis comes.
So my friends, look to Nebuchadnezzar and be wise. Look at him and see your need for the God of heaven, for the spiritual wisdom that he alone can give. Well, this takes us to the prophet Daniel now. See, Daniel was among the wise men that Nebuchadnezzar wanted dead. In verses 13 and 14, we see this, and then we see Daniel's reply. Verse 13 reads, So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Now, isn't this amazing? What a contrast we have in this chapter. We've got the most powerful man in the world suffering panic attacks because he doesn't know his future. But on the other side, we've got this 18-year-old guy ripped from his homeland. He knows his life is in mortal danger, and yet he is the picture of poise. He is Responding with prudence, it says, and with discretion. And what does he do? Well, look at verses 15 and 16. It says, He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Verse 16, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So Arioch says, I'm here to take you and all of your companions into, into, um, into a captivity, and then we're going to kill you all. Daniel says, well, wait a minute. What, what's going on here? What's the rush? What's happened? Arioch explains, King Nebuchadnezzar has had these terrible dreams. The wise men haven't been able to give him an answer, so he wants all of you dead. Daniel says, You tell the king to set an appointment with me and give me a little bit of time, set the appointment just a little bit down the road, and I'll meet with the king and I'll help him. You let him know that. And then look what he does next. Verses 17 and 18. Daniel calls a prayer meeting. It says, He went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. Remember, these are the the other Jewish men who were rounded up from Judah, carted off to Babylon. He gathers them all together, verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel's life is in mortal danger. What does he do? He tells the man sent to execute him, hold on, tell the king I can help him. Set the appointment just a little ways off. Then he gathers his friends, and they just start to pray. My friends, prayer really is one of the most important resources that we have at our disposal in a time of crisis. James 5.16 even says this, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The scriptures teach us that the God of heaven hears our prayers and he is pleased to use our prayers to accomplish his purposes in the world. 
So we can go to God with our godly desires and needs and he will hear us and he will come to our aid. Sometimes he'll answer our requests exactly as we laid them before him. Sometimes he answers them in ways that are different from how we ask, but the results are better. God always comes to the rescue of his people. And so Daniel and his friends get on their knees. Friend, how often we neglect this essential spiritual discipline. How often do we react? How often we react when, when times are, are getting intense for us? We allow our minds to start spinning with, with thoughts. How am I going to fix this? And then we start running around like headless chickens trying to, to make our plans come to pass. Fill our lives with frenetic activities, trying to, to manage whatever is causing our fears. How much better would it be for us to just take some time, stop, catch our breath, maybe gather a few friends, and get out our knees and just pray about the matter and wait for God to respond. That's what Daniel and his friends do. And look at verse 19. It says their prayers were answered. It says the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Daniel asked for help and God came to his aid. God gave him the content and the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. After receiving his answer, Daniel then has a a little private worship service. And verse 19 says, he blessed the God of heaven. That means he praised God for answering his prayer. And here's the content of Daniel's praise, verses 20 through 23. He says, blessed or praise be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you've given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. My friends, the the message of the entire book of Daniel is here summarized in the space of four verses. The message of this book is that the God of heaven is an eternal God. And he is immutable. He is the most blessed one. Nothing happens apart from his will. He changes the seasons. Kingdoms rise and fall at his command. And he is the source of all true knowledge and wisdom. He also loves his people and he comes to their rescue. And friends, this God is still alive today. He's the great I am. He has always existed and he always will exist. And within his nature, there is no shadow of turning. This God is utterly and incontestably good. And he is sovereign at every point in human history. And God is the controlling figure in this chapter and in all of Daniel. It isn't King Nebuchadnezzar. It isn't the young prophet. It's nobody else. God is the one in control in this book. 
And here God exerts his control once again. It was by God's will that Daniel was captured and sent into Babylon. By God's will that Nebuchadnezzar should dream these dreams. And now he reveals the dreams to Daniel. God is the supreme actor in this entire book. As Michael Barrett has written, quote that I've shared previously, this, that is this knowledge of God's sovereignty, is perhaps the most comforting truth that God has revealed to us about himself. See, this truth can give us patience in adversity. It sure gave peace to Daniel... He's been ripped out of his home, sent to a new land, given a new name, forced to learn a new language. He's now in mortal danger, even though he's done nothing wrong. And yet, he is at peace. Knowing that God is sovereign can give you peace, too. Because it means that even in those times when evil seems to be triumphing, and when God's people are suffering, and even in those times when your life seems to be in Mortal danger, you will know that the world is moving exactly according to God's providence. And it will reach its appointed end. And that end will be good, and it will mean victory for God's people. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but when the long arc of history reaches its end, God's children will have the victory This truth can also give us confidence about the future. You know, Daniel didn't know what was going to happen to him. And yet, he enjoyed peace. He knew enough about God that he could rest easy, even in the face of these great dangers. Know that many of us have experienced anxieties about our futures over the last couple of years. Perhaps it's even intensified over the last few weeks. We worry about our personal finances. We look at the inflation rate, price of gas, price of food. We wonder, how sustainable is this? Some of us still track the um, progress of the um, pandemic, worrying about what it could mean for us or for those that we love. We have many personal fears. Many of us have also been watching the events unfold in Ukraine with great concern. If you've been watching a lot of news programs, you know the big discussion right now is, is over whether we are witnessing the, sal- the opening salvos of World War III. Wouldn't take much, just one misstep on the part of Russia or NATO or China or even Ukraine. We'd be in the middle of a global conflagration. But you know, friends, if God is sovereign and if he is good then none of this need concern us. Maybe we are headed for a third world war, maybe not. Either way, we know that God is still sovereign and that God will use these unfolding events to bring about his good purposes. All of this will hasten the arrival of his kingdom and of our glory. And so, knowing God, as we do, and understanding that he is sovereign, we can face anything. We can face deprivation, loss, the prospect of global war. We can face anything. 
knowing that in the end, it's okay for God's people. His church will prosper even through it. You know, this truth can also fuel our worship. Daniel demonstrates that to us in verses 20 through 23. Knowing God can prompt you to worship. You know, we humans were made for worship. And we are never happier than when we are rejoicing in God and His goodness to us. When we know God, we can rejoice in Him no matter our circumstances. Now, very quickly, let's look at the conclusion of this story, verses 24 through 30. It says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. And I will show the king the interpretation. Verse 25 then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste, because Arioch is scared. Brought him in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the majesty that the king has asked, the mystery that the king has asked. But now verse 28, another key verse of the book. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Wow. <laughs> I can help you, Nebuchadnezzar, but I want you to understand it's not because I'm wiser than anybody else, not because I had some, some secret that they didn't have. I'm a man just like other men. I sin like they sin. He said, but I do know a God who is different from the gods that those others worship. I know the God of heaven. And King, this God is an omniscient God. He knows all things. And this God even knows the future. Because this God has ordained the future, and He knows what He has ordained. And the dream you had, O King, this dream that has been troubling your soul, this dream is a revelation from God to you. And it concerns things to come. 
Now I should hasten to note here that God no longer reveals his plans to people in such a manner. Before the coming of Christ, he did. His revelation was incomplete before Christ. And so he would supplement the little bit that his children had by giving them dreams and visions, sometimes speaking to them through prophets. That all came to an end with the arrival of Christ, the uh, book of Hebrews tells us that Christ is God's fullest and final self-revelation to us. One of the last sentences of the Bible says this, anyone who would add to the content of this book, God will add to him the, the plagues that the book contains. You see, revelation from God has ceased It was completed with the coming of Christ and then the infallible interpretation of Christ and his message given by his apostles. Now, if we want to know the will of God, we must turn to the written word. This is what we have to tell us God's plans. But not so in Daniel's day. He was around before the coming of Christ. And so God revealed his plans through dreams and visions. And God revealed the future to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream And he revealed its contents and meaning to Daniel, the prophet, in a vision. Daniel says, God has revealed this to me, Nebuchadnezzar, that you might know what's going to come in the latter days. That's a way of saying, God wants you to know how the world is going to end. Now, next week, we will examine the content and the interpretation of of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. For now, let me simply leave you with a question. So what do you believe in? Are you like Nebuchadnezzar? Do you believe in money and power and success? Do you believe in your own innate ability to chart your course? Do you believe in a God invented by the mind of a man? Or, like Daniel, do you believe in the true and living God? Do you believe in the one who holds the entire world in his hands, the one who never forsakes his people, the one who declares the end from the beginning, the one who so loved the world that he sent his only Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life? If you ever have questions about how much God loves the world of men, you just consider Christ. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 11, the false prophets and sorcerers and magicians said, Nebuchadnezzar, how can we know your dream? Only the gods know your dream, and they don't deal in the realm of flesh. But John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God of heaven has come down to the world of men. He loves this world. He loves his people. He invites all to come to him in faith and in repentance through his Son, the one who lived, died, and rose again for our salvation. Friends, the object of your faith will determine the outcome of your entire life. It will determine whether you spend your days in frustration and terror and 
insecurity or whether you'll be marked by a calm confidence in the face of everything the world throws at you. It'll determine your state even beyond the grave into the life hereafter. So what do you believe in? What will you start believing in beginning this morning? My friend, if you've not put your faith in the living and true God through His Son Jesus, my invitation to you is receive Him today. He lived, He died, He rose again, He sits enthroned in heaven. One day He will come back to judge the living and the dead. But He invites all to come to Him and receive His forgiveness. You'll be a part of His kingdom if you do. And He's made it so easy for each of us. You could pray directly to God from your seat this morning, confessing your sin, declaring your allegiance to Him. Or you could catch me in the hallway after the service and request an appointment later in the week, and I'd be happy to work through more of the the story of God and His plans for us. And perhaps later in the week, you will be ready. But regardless, do something about this matter today. Do something about it today. Pray or make an appointment. Let's close in prayer now. Our Lord, as we study the book of Daniel together, we are confronted with with information about you that is staggering. And Lord, we look at, at all that has been said just in these first two verses And our hearts resonate with it all, and we say, yes, you are eternal and immutable and sovereign and good. And unlike the false gods invented by men, gods who require their worshipers to disgrace themselves, to sacrifice their own children, to shame themselves before these gods to get their attention. Lord, what a contrast. You elevate the human person. You restore them to what they were always meant to be. You clothe them in forgiveness and dignity. And Lord, you give us peace of mind. Lord, might you minister to each one of us individually this morning, minister to us in the way that we need to be ministered to most. Draw some to faith, strengthen others in faith. Help us to trust you with our individual lives. Help us to trust that nothing that happens in the world around us can shake your plans or can shake our security in you. Lord, we pray all of these things in your Son's great name. Amen.